Good morning. I wish everyone a happy Easter. I'm glad that you're joining us today. And we have some old faces back again now as we, we, we're more and more seeing people returning to us. And that's good to, good to have all of you uh, with us. And uh, welcome back, Jeff and Michelle. Uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we'll be this morning as we discuss another one of the encounters that Jesus had, the people that Jesus met uh, along the way. Last week, we talked about meeting the adulterous woman, the sinner, and Jesus met the sinner and, uh, and encountered this person who was cast among the people as, an, as evidence of wrongdoing, caught in the act of wrongdoing, used as a pawn to try and capture Jesus and trap him, and we saw the compassion that he had for that person, and we understand the compassion he has for us. This week we're going to talk, uh, and it's appropriate that this one falls on Easter Sunday, as so many are talking about the resurrection of Christ and celebrating that on this Easter. We are able to look at a story that occurs just after the resurrection and see an encounter that Jesus has on the other side of the tomb, uh, on the road to Emmaus. What an interesting encounter it is, and again... One of those where we see just a brief, a brief moment of contact with Jesus and someone who wasn't expecting it, and we learn so much about, about Jesus and about ourselves. So let's set up the context here. Again, it's right after the resurrection. Jesus has left the tomb, and the, the women have gone to the tomb that morning and been told that he's not there. And so Jesus is walking about. And it's really interesting the way we think about Jesus after the resurrection, by the way. We think about sometimes like he's some sort of supernatural, spiritual thing because he does do a lot of appearing and disappearing, okay? Um, let's be clear. Jesus died and was buried and rose again. He didn't come back to life in some other form. His body, his physical body rose and left that tomb. He's still in human form walking the earth after his death. We see that evidence because he goes and eats with the apostles, and it's mentioned specifically that he asked for something to eat. Spirits don't ask for things to eat. They don't need things to eat. Human beings need things to eat. Jesus is alive again. Just as Lazarus was alive again, Jesus has been resurrected and is alive again. So some of the, the different ways that he moves about, let's not let that change our perception. It's very important to note that he did rise again in the same form because if he didn't, then that's not really a resurrection. That's, that's haunting, and that's not what Jesus was doing. He rose from the dead. And so Luke tells this story, and it's told in other places in different ways, but Luke, remember, as a gospel writer, was an investigative journalist. Luke talked to everyone and his writing is far more detailed and extensive because we believe he actually not only looked at other source material documents and other gospel accounts, but he talked to some of the people there, including people like Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he perhaps, and I would guess this is probably true because of the detail of the story, that he talked to at least one of these men that we see in this story that encountered Jesus that they told him this as a first-hand account. I think that makes it even more of a kind of an intimate story. 
because it happened with just the two people there and Jesus, and it was told to Luke, and it was relayed to others. So this is the scene just after the resurrection, the day of, moments, maybe just hours after it's been revealed that Jesus has left the tomb. Now, remember, no one's seen him yet. (laughs) Okay, he's not here. Well, where is he? So there was this sort of confusion and anticipation and hope and excitement. Let's read the story in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. So these are clearly disciples of Jesus, not not the 12 uh, or the 11 at this point, but it is a part of the group that would have followed and believed Jesus. They were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. That's an important point. I want you to think about that. What does that mean, first of all? Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, there are some that would say uh, they, that they just didn't recognize him. Remember, we didn't recognize people the way we do now. If I were to bump into a celebrity, someone in the news, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I was covering a Monroe basketball game, boys basketball at Edgewood. Uh, it was your last season, Aaron. And, and I was standing up there uh, getting set up, and I looked down on the court, and there was the, the sports anchor from the NBC affiliate in Madison, Mike. And um, I know him because he used to be the sports anchor in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Covered the Razorbacks uh, for many years. And I see him on TV all the time. I recognized him immediately. Now, in their time, you didn't know people like that. Even if you knew them by name, you may not recognize them because you've never seen them before. Because word travels faster than people. And so you would have known the name Jesus, but you may never have encountered him. That's not the case with these individuals. So when it says their eyes were prevented from seeing who he was, that's not just some semantics for they didn't recognize him. They had probably been in his presence. That evidence is clear in the remainder of the story. They have a close relationship with the apostles, with the other disciples, and therefore they were probably in the presence of Jesus at some point. So here is someone they are talking about, that they love, that they are curious about, and he's walking alongside them, and Luke says, I would guess on the basis of the testimony of one of these men, Luke says that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They were blind to what they were seeing. Now, why, why were they prevented? Why did God, or how, what, through however he worked, prevent them from seeing that? Well, that's an interesting question because that is not, this is not the only time it's going to happen. It happens in other accounts to the apostles. It's going to happen later in this very account to the apostles. Jesus is standing in their midst, and they don't recognize who he is, and then all of a sudden, they do. Or he's standing in their midst, and later he starts explaining the prophecies and why everything happened, and he's kind of giving a summation, and it says their eyes were open to the Scriptures. Their minds were open to the Scriptures. God sometimes works to prevent us from seeing or understanding certain things until we're ready to see and understand those things. That's, that doesn't mean that he hides things. It doesn't mean that he's deceptive. It means that he understands how our minds work, and he has a purpose in mind for the things he's trying to teach us and reveal to us. 
And so we see throughout Scripture that hearts are hardened, eyes are blinded, minds are closed, and then when God is ready, they're opened and things are revealed. But in any case, these two men are walking with Jesus, whom they're speaking of, and they don't realize it's him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Remember, everybody's in town for Passover. Everybody's there. The, the, the city has swelled with people traveling from the outskirts in to be a part of this, okay? This is like their cheese days. It's huge. Everybody's there. It's, it's crowded. And this big event happened. This monumental thing. A man was crucified. There was a public trial. Hours and hours of back and forth. And he was put to death. That's a big deal. That's a community event. And this man says to Jesus, not realizing it's Jesus, you must be the only guy in town that doesn't know what we're talking about. It's a big deal. And he said to them, Jesus did, what things? And they said to him, these things about Jesus and Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Listen to this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. These people who have been close to Jesus and close to his followers and been a part of that group are explaining who they saw Jesus as, what they were expecting from Jesus and why they were saddened, confused, and a little bit lost. They were believers, okay? This isn't like the Samaritan woman who is being told of Jesus for the first time. This isn't the rich young ruler who's looking for an answer or Zacchaeus who's looking to meet Jesus. This isn't the adulterous woman caught in sin looking for redemption. These are two people that believed in him, that followed him, and as they describe him, they still don't get it. And the evidence would suggest that most of the apostles still didn't get it because their minds were later opened. These men will leave this encounter and they're going to go to the apostles, and Jesus is going to show up there, and they're going to have a meal, and he's going to explain these things, and their minds are going to be open. So there were some things that, even to this point, he's already resurrected. They don't still yet understand what his purpose was and what his purpose is. We struggle with that ourselves. These are what I would call the believing blind. They're not blind to Jesus, they're not blind to his gospel, but they're believers and still blind because Jesus is not fitting what they're expecting. They expected him to come and redeem Israel, to restore the kingdom, to perhaps overthrow the Roman occupation, to make Rome, or to make Israel rather, a powerful nation of God again. And then he died. 
Revolution over. He's in the ground. Now they know about this three days and raised again. And so they're a little confused because he's not there and it's been three days, but he's nowhere to be found. And their hopes of this revolution and this restoration are quickly fading. But their hope is only fading because their hope is placed in the wrong thing because they're only seeing what they want to see Jesus as. Look at how Jesus responds to them in verse 25. He said, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He went back and gave them a sermon, starting in the very beginning, and explained why all of it happened. Their confusion was because the events that transpired did not correspond to their vision for what Christ would do on this earth. And now he explains to them, no, this is exactly what was supposed to happen, and here's why. It's plain to see. Why don't we see what is plain to see? There's a professor at the University of Illinois. His name is Daniel Simons. Uh, Daniel Simons runs the um, cognitive uh, vis visual cognition laboratory, I think is what it's called. He's a psychologist, and he specializes in something called change blindness. And it has to do with the physiology and the psychology of what we see and how our eyes work. You realize what a small percentage of the world we actually see? Even as we're standing in this room, the small percentage of what is going on in this room that we see. Because our retinas are made up of different types of materials. And the inner part of the retina that is able to focus and see with depth and the things in front of us and process it and all the neurons that have to fire to make that happen, it's so small compared to the rest of the retina. Even the thing which sees and processes light and vision and transfers it to our brain and creates images, it doesn't, it's not made up of the thing that can see the best all the time. We have to choose what we're going to see in any given setting. So Daniel Simons did an experiment. He's done a couple of them, and you can find them on YouTube. Uh, here's a video that he shows a group of people. In the video are two teams of people with, with balls, one in black and one in white. And they kind of go in a star pattern, circling around one another, passing the ball back and forth to their corresponding teammates. At the outset of the video, he says, watch the team in white and count how many times they pass the ball. Simple enough. You watch the video, and all the subjects in this experiment watch the video. And at the end, he said, how many times did the white team pass the ball? And they said, 16. 16 is correct. Almost everybody got that right. And then he asked the question, did you see the gorilla? What an odd question, except it's not an odd question. Because in the middle of the video, a man in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the video and beats his chest and then leaves. And almost none of the participants in the experiment saw it because they were focused on one thing, because our brains and our eyes have to select what we will focus on. In another one of Dr. Simon's experiments, there's a scene at, at a bar. People are seated at the bar. They're talking. They're visiting. And the person behind the bar drops something and bends down to pick it up out of sight. And up pops a person of a different race and gender than went down before. And almost no one watching the video noticed it. 
This is change blindness. This is what he specializes in researching, Mr. Simons. And it highlights something that both physically and psychologically we struggle with. We see what we want to see. All of us is blind in some form because we have to choose what we're going to look at and what we're going to see. And what we perceive something to be often shapes how we look at it and what else we're blinded to. Because the world is shaped by our experiences and our upbringing and our faith and our values and our perception. And sometimes we see so little because we see what we want. These people traveling the road, yes, their vision was impaired. Their recognition of God was impaired, or of Jesus was impaired, perhaps by God. But there was also an impairment not in the physical form of Jesus, but how they saw Jesus as impacting their life. What they were expecting Jesus to be was not what he was. And so there was confusion. Now, in the moment, they don't recognize him, and I think that this is my speculation. I believe that God clouds the minds of these people that encounter Jesus in the moments after the resurrection simply for the fact that what would happen if they saw him and immediately recognized him? Boom, they're gone. They're running off to tell someone else. They're dragging Jesus along with them to, to make him king. They're going to go off. He, Jesus needs time to explain. And he can't get that time to explain if they're freaking out over the fact that he's been resurrected. So I believe that's part of why there's this cloudiness to their recognition and their understanding. That's my opinion and you're free to agree or disagree. But the blindness in their belief has more to do with their understanding of Christ's purpose. And even today, as a people that have, for hundreds of years now, had a collection of the, of the writings of our faith right in front of us, readily available in our language, in understandable modern language, that we can read and study and see, we still struggle with putting Jesus in the proper place in our life because sometimes he doesn't look like what we want him to look like. And that is frustrating. And we suffer from difficult spiritual journeys. We suffer from troubled lives. We suffer from bad relationships. We suffer from struggling churches and diminishing numbers in our churches because we get hung up on our blindness to Jesus because he doesn't fit often what we think he should. If you read the story of Jesus, you will get frustrated sometimes. You may even be struggling in your relationship with him because you've read the story, and it's not what you want it to be. Jesus doesn't fit our expectation of our politics sometimes. He doesn't fit into the right or the left. And whether you're right or left, you like to think he does. You like to think Jesus is on your side. But he doesn't fit our expectation of our own politics. And so we struggle sometimes with being blind to what Jesus teaches. He doesn't fit our expectation of moral philosophy. And so we struggle being blind to the things Jesus teaches about right and wrong because it doesn't fit our expectation. Sometimes Jesus doesn't even fit our expectation of theology. And we struggle to accept him because he doesn't come in the way we want him to. Whatever it is in our life 
that we have expectations of that we hope Jesus to justify about our own points of view, he often doesn't. And the key word in all of these things is our, or mine, or yours, or any pronoun that refers to us as individuals and our ideas of what Jesus should be. For these men on the road to Emmaus, it was a revolutionary, a liberator, a warrior, a king. For us, it may be any number of things. But whatever it is, we must be aware of our blindness to Jesus sometimes because of our own preconceived notions. We see what we want to see. And we ignore the things we want to ignore. And we can't see Jesus until we see the full picture. And our eyes are sometimes blind to the full picture. But let's read further. After he explains these things, verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then, verse 31, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And again, this wasn't just, oh yeah, now I know why you look familiar. This was an, an intellectual, psychological revelation that they were now seeing him and understanding who he was. He recognized, they recognized him, and what happened then? He vanished from their sight. He went away. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? They felt something while he was explaining the scriptures to us. So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found and gathered together the 11 and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. There's, there's more to this story. It goes through the end of Luke's account where we see Jesus appearing then to the rest of his disciples and speaking to them and encouraging them. But, but the story of the believing blind, the two men on the road to Emmaus who did not recognize Jesus, but also were struggling to understand who he was even after his resurrection. Only when Jesus explained the full picture were they able to see, were they able to understand what he had come to do and what he had accomplished. And we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that just because we have four gospel accounts and the rest of the New Testament that we understand it all the time either. We color Jesus by our worldview, whether it be cultural, societal, political, psychological, whatever it is in our own experiences, we lay that template on top of Jesus sometimes and we blind ourselves to his teaching and his ministry in some areas. And in this encounter, in the people Jesus met, we can relate in some way to a lot of them. And in this one, perhaps you can relate to being a believer who still struggles with blindness. Maybe you're looking for one thing and you don't see the gorilla walking into the picture. Maybe you're focused on something else and you don't see that the person behind the counter is not who they were before. Maybe you're walking down a road in confusion trying to make sense of everything that's happened and you don't see Jesus standing in front of you or realize what it was he was here to do. Maybe that has strained your relationship with him. We don't talk about that a lot, that there are people that sit in these pews every week all over the world 
that don't have a relationship with Jesus because they don't like who he is sometimes. Because they're struggling to accept what it is he's teaching. Because they have things in their life, in their experience, in their worldview that are one way and they need Jesus to fit that and they're blinding themselves to what his teaching is. Maybe you're one of those people. I've been there too. I've been a believer for as long as I was capable of believing. And even through doubts and questions and struggles, I've come back to accepting that this is true. But sometimes I struggle with putting my own stamp on Jesus. And I have to, do, I have to stop that. I have to take that away and say, he is not for me to define, he is to define me. And my eyes need to be opened, and my mind needs to be opened. But I have this selective blindness sometimes, and maybe you do too. And maybe that is straining your understanding and your acceptance and relationship with Jesus. It's time to let go of the things of this world. It's time to let go of the expectations that we've created. It's time to let go of what the world tells us our Savior should be, or looking for a Savior that will justify our own points of view and open our hearts to emulating and looking like the Savior for those around us. You have to accept that you don't need a Savior that thinks like you. You need to think like your Savior and see him for who he is. And to do that, we have to understand the full picture. And the full picture is this. God created each and every one of us, formed us with his hand, unlike anything else in creation, we were formed by hand, handmade, with intention, placed on this earth. And from the very beginning, God said, I love this creation and I want a relationship with it. And I'm going to let it go into this world and I'm going to let it struggle and stumble and fall, this creation, but I'm going to love it anyway. And when it's at its most helpless and vulnerable, when it's unable to reach me, I'm going to send part of myself there to be with them that they can cling on to it, and I'll bring them back to me. That's how much he loved you. That's our story. That's his story. And his death and burial and resurrection is worth celebrating because it completed that story. And our life is to be lived in response to that sacrifice. We should, as each person in this series we should leave this interaction transformed and changed. Joyful that you have found the Savior or convicted to get sin out of your life or perhaps relieved from the burden of your blindness. Let's take off the glasses of our world, of our culture, of our society. Let's take off the glasses that we wear and see Jesus for who he is and where he's leading us with open hearts and with open minds. And he's, he's asking you to have a closer relationship with him. If you would like that closer relationship, it may be a prayer away. It may be a conversation away. It may take time and study, but we're all here together with one another working toward the same goal, and we want to support one another. And if you have a need for that support, for that encouragement, for that study, Whatever it may be, our arms are open to you and our hands are empty. We ask you to come and take advantage 
of this brotherhood, this family of Christians. If you have a need, you can make it known now as we stand and while we sing together.